on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. Don't act on ego and yeah. stick to your guns. And that's what we do now. We don't act on emotion. If it makes sense, let's do it. If it doesn't, on to the next. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. We've got Sean Winslow on the King stage today. My brother, how are you? Chaz, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Love your show. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate the great feedback. We think it's pretty great too, but when other people tell us that it, it makes us feel really good. <laughs> you, got, you got like that authentic radio voice. It just, it's yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. My, my podcast coach was a friend before, and he just told me for a long time. And I've heard it obviously outside of that too, but he's like, dude, we got to get you a show. Okay, <laughs> uh, Sean, tell us what kind of business that you have, brother. Yeah, Greenbrier Capital Group is my company. And we focus on investing in multifamily apartment communities across the country. And so we come in with a group of investors and the goal is to invest in something we call value add. So we want to have a property that maybe just the previous owner just didn't give it a lot of love and attention and it, it needs that love and attention. We come in, revitalize the community, really make it a place where people love to call home. And then it's a win-win. The residents, they have a great place to live and then our investors make a great return. Yeah. I love that. Multifamily is, is a, an amazing vehicle and, and I love that you're making it available to investors. And I'm sure probably just people even learning about it through your podcast and I'm sure plenty of other resources that you have. So I just love what you're doing. Before we get into your story, because I think you got, I think you got a great story to tell. We all do, but I think yours is from a perspective of college and how it comes different, but we'll get into that here in a second. What I want to know now is why you're a young guy. Clearly you got a good bit of money. You could probably sail into the sunset. Why are you still pushing? Man, probably a few reasons. One, I just want to take care of those that took care of me along the way. I just want to, like my parents and family friends that were just there for me, especially my parents, they sacrificed along the way. And I just want to be able to give back to them, especially in retirement, just let them do the sailing off while I continue to work. And hence why the company I have now is called Greenbrier Capital Group. Greenbrier was the name of the street I grew up on. So that's the driving force. And on top of that, it's also just to help others that can't help themselves. So we, it's one of our missions to give at least 10% of our profits away every year. And we specifically focus on two categories, children, because children were never asked to be brought into this world and two, they don't have a lot of power to help themselves. So we want to help right. them. And then two, my partner, his wife's family is from Venezuela, and we all know what's going on down there. So we're, we want to create an initiative to help first bring her family back, but then other families that, that want some help to get out of the situation they're in. So th those are the driving force. And then you, the third one you alluded to was the fact that I love the fact that I can help everyday people get into an investment that was traditionally just for the ultra wealthy. And I come from a finance background and worked in financial services. 
And even myself back then, I didn't know at that time, I didn't know this was a thing for everyday people and I was in the business. So the fact that I can share this with everyday people, cause it's an yeah. amazing investment. That's <clears throat> deal. the other driving force. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of purpose driven thoughts there. I really appreciate that. I think that's the, the, the Greenbrier name obviously reminds you every day of where you come from. I really love that, that portion of it. I think that we all have those things that kind of keep us dialed in. And of course, I'm sure as you continue to grow and expand, those things will change. I'm sure they have over time, but love the perspective. Tell me, you, you were involved with financial services. I, I know that you come from a family of entrepreneurs or at least some yep. something like it. So I want to know about that. Tell me a little bit about that. But then you didn't get into business right away. So I want to know the journey here that you've gotten. Yeah, it's funny how things happen, Chess. So I was a young kid, grew up in a small town in Vermont, family of entrepreneurs, my grandfather, my father, my two uncles, all entrepreneurs. And so you think I would be destined for that right out of the gate. And right. even started that way, I wanted a new bicycle. This was back when mountain bikes first got shocks or the front suspension. And that was like the <laughs> hottest thing. I wanted it so bad, Chaz. And my dad goes, okay, I will pay for half, but you got to figure out a way to pay for the other half. And I'm yeah. first, I'm so glad he did that. Um, it just instilled that work ethic and that nothing worth having should be given to you. You should work for it. Yeah. And so I did. I started mowing lawns, my families, my neighbors. And then in the winters, because I'm from the Northeast, would do snow removal, um, shovel. So I did that. And I was, you'd think I would be on the path to entrepreneurship. However, just what I think happens to a lot of people in our society is you get conditioned. Society conditions you that you got to do well in high school. So you go to college, do well in college, so then you can get a nice nine to five corporate job and work for someone else's dream. And so I did that for a while in financial services. And don't get me wrong, I love finance, I love investing, but at the end of the day, I was working for someone else's dream, not yeah. my own. And they were more worried about aligning their pockets than our investors. So it just didn't mesh. And when you wake up every day and you're trying to go sell it or push a product that you personally don't use or believe in, it That's it's just difficult. not it's yeah, it's not rewarding and it's tough, right? Yeah, like you want to get up and be excited to attack the day. And that just wasn't the case. So I knew I had to make a change. And so I educated myself was, I went and took a real estate finance course at Boston university did that during nights when I was at school, listen to podcasts, read books, went to meetups, just, just try to learn as much as I could. And then I knew how to make a change. And I found out about the world of syndications, which we alluded to earlier, how we can let every day people invest. And it was funny how it happened. I was in that real estate finance program. And one of the guys that was in it with me, he came from the syndication world. He was working for a syndicator out of Boston and he was going to this program to leave. And I was going to the program to get out of the corporate world. And he taught me about syndications. I'm, no, I'm going to do that. That's my calling. And so that's how it started. Wow. So many different pieces there of a wise in the road. I think every young entrepreneur, especially on the male side, if you grew up in the Midwest and or in the Northeast, you mowed grass and you shoveled snow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so exactly. I think we can all relate to that. I am curious to know, like when you said in that moment, when you heard or when you learned about syndication, it was like, that's what I'm made for. What, what did you hear in that moment that resonated so deep with what you're calling your purpose? Yeah, it's that I didn't need to be ultra wealthy out of the gate didn't need to know the right people or be from some, whatever you want to call it, upper echelon of society or have yeah. the experience that all it really took was just hard work and discipline and that I could help everyday people get into this type of investment. I would always drive by apartment complexes and be like, I wish that could be 
me. I wish I could invest in that thinking it was just some big institution that owned it. And now I could think I can do that. I just need to go work for it. And that was the big light switch right there. Yeah. I think every entrepreneur, especially the ones that are listening now, the ones that want to be better, the ones that want to level up, they're here to get a nugget from you. I think we can all relate to that moment where we realize like, wow, what this is what it could be and what our version of freedom could look like. Because that's really what I heard you say. I heard you say, you got a glimpse of what freedom really could look like for your for yourself. Yeah. And even though that maybe looked different than how you've been trained in college and what the finance path is that you were on, it struck you in that moment like a pound of bricks because it was truth. It was your truth. It was for your freedom. I think every entrepreneur can resonate with that moment, but then it's, okay, <laughs> now what do I do? It's the steps that I got to take and then there's the action and then it's the Oh man, there's the good and bad decisions. So that's where we are here in the show. I want to know something that you did that was a good decision that led you, that you can strategically think back and it was like this one decision right here was so big to where you are here today. Oh, I got it. I actually did a podcast episode on this the other day. Love um, it. The handwritten letter that changed my life. Like I alluded to earlier, when I wanted to make the transition in the, into finance, I just educated myself. I did this again when it came to syndications. I just started reading, listening to podcasts. And back then there wasn't as much as there is out there. So it wasn't a lot to take in. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to find a mentor, someone not only that was living the life I wanted to live and had the business that I wanted to create, but also had the same type of values, morals, and all that, because I'd already been down the corporate world where those weren't aligned and it makes it so much harder. So I found that individual and I I didn't know how to get in contact with them. I figured, oh, they're probably always getting calls and emails. So I thought back to a time when I, used, when I had wrote a handwritten letter before and the response I had gotten to it. And so I was like, I'm just going to write this guy a letter, handwritten. I found his, his home address online, which is creepy and crazy when you think about it, but <laughs> <laughs> found it and fired it away. And he called me. He was very impressed and appreciated it. And he said, that's actually my trick. I do that. So that actually resonated mm-hmm. with him. And he was my first mentor. There's just so much, so many things, but okay. So first, let me break it down. You thought to yourself, I need to get some education, which is great. I think a lot of people think that, but then there's a lack of actually going and doing it. So for you, it was podcasts, trainings, I'm sure conferences, there's all kinds of stuff on real estate, special syndication, at least now, like you said, it was maybe less than where in that education piece, did it like click for you that I need someone down the road that can look back and mentor me? How did you come across that realization? Luckily, it was early on because, yeah, I've suffered from like a lot of people probably do the analysis paralysis where you just think you need to keep educating yourself and you need to know everything right. before you, you start. And that's just not the case. People, any, and this is not just in real estate investing, it's anything. Just take action, right? We're all going to fail. But as long as you fail forward, one, it's going to be a lesson, but you've got to start somewhere. And so luckily, I realized it early on. It was a, I vividly remember it. It was a podcast that I heard this individual on and he was just explaining the life that investing afforded him. He came from, he's a rags to riches story. Um, Grew up actually in Missouri. So Midwest and and he grew up on a farm, didn't have a lot. And he, now he owns hundreds of millions of real estate. And at that moment, I was like, I want that and I'll do whatever it takes to get that. And I don't need to, I just don't need to keep educating myself. Like I'm a smart guy. I've been in finance. I took this real estate finance program. Like I know what I need to know at this point. Now I just need to take action. And so 
that's when I decided I just needed to get a hold of this guy. So for you, if action was the step, obviously action led you to write the letter, which yeah, great idea. Nobody sends anything in the mail anymore, unless you're <laughs> you or me and this other mentor of yours. How did getting to know this guy specifically, how did that help you take action? Like what, how did like, I'm because okay. the person who's listening right now, they've heard someone say, you got to get a mentor, right? You got to take action. They've heard these things, but somewhere in there in your brain, I'm trying to extrapolate the detail of taking action meant I need to get in relationship with mentor. What, how did you, how did you get there? Or why did that make sense to you in that moment? The whole mentor thing? I just, I'd heard so many people talk about how just surrounding yourself with the right people sure. will elevate you. I, I've, I knew someone in the past, uh, actually my, my grandfather, successful entrepreneur in his own right. And he would always tell me stories of how he would surround himself in, in one mentor in particular that changed his life, and wow. his business. So I think those things just clicked at the right time. And I yeah. knew that if I wanted to get somewhere, why go on on my own when someone's already gone through the path and they could help me get there and, and hopefully go around mistakes that they had and not do this, the same mistakes. So I knew from that moment that if I could do it on my own, but I would not be right. where I am today. No way. I would be behind. And, yeah. and I continue to try to surround myself with those type of people. Yeah. It's just rocket fuel to whatever you're trying to do. I don't know if that answers what you're- Oh yeah, no, there's no direct question per se. I'm just trying to get mindset from you. And I hope the listeners are paying attention. You're giving good stuff. Thank you for that. I want to know in that moment, so the good decision for you was to reach out. You wrote this letter. It changed your life. It obviously brought you into connection with this guy. What was the, if you could dwindle it down into one thing that this mentorship or this guy or writing this letter, what has it led you to the most? Or what's been the biggest result out of that action? It's probably what I previously alluded to is to keep surrounding yourself with people that are above you. And I think it's better to surround yourself with people that are one to three notches above you. You don't want someone that's 10, 20 notches above you because it's harder to relate. Sure. If you have the opportunity to meet with them, yes, do it hundred percent. But like in your immediate circle, I think it should be people that are on your level or just a little above so they can help pull you up. You can relate to them. And so that's what he did for me because at the time, he wasn't too far ahead of me and I could relate. And so what I did is I was just a sponge. Anything he told me to do that he thought I should do, I did. And it doesn't mean it's going to work, but why would I not try it? Like it obviously worked for him. I'm reaching out to him because I want to be where he's at. So why wouldn't I try it? So that's yeah. what I did. I just soaked in everything and gave it a try. And obviously I put my own spin on it because you got to be authentic, but yeah, it works. Yeah. It's funny that you say that you just give it a try. You do it blindly because you've already put this trust or this value in this person and not knowing necessarily that it's going to work, but knowing that they're going to, they've been through some things. And even though it might not make sense in this moment, it's one less thing you've got to learn potentially (laughs) as long as you just have to do it. I've got the same experience when I had mentors, when I was probably 18, 19 in a program that I was a part of. And it was, I think I was just too young to, I mean, I was listening I was doing action and I appreciated that perspective. And so I look back, I'm like, I just did what I was told. And, and which was great from like an angle I trusted and I just went for it. It took me to places. I understand things about myself because of those things. But I also think that there was maybe call it ego, maybe call it just immaturity where I wasn't, even though I was hearing the things, I wasn't really hearing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it happens to all of us though. It's, it's just what, you know, it, it is what it is, but you, we yeah. got to do our best to get over that. But yeah, I'm with you. That's definitely happened to me. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, let's flip the coin, Sean. Let's talk about a bad decision that you've made that has resonated through time. What can we learn from you? It goes to that ego thing. At the beginning, I thought I had to do it all myself, right? I thought this was the Sean show at first, and that to be a truly successful entrepreneur, you had to self-made. And now I know that term is just a lie. There's no such thing as a self-made person. But at the time, I thought that's what you had to do, and so I did it. And in my business, the kind of major categories are. One, you got to find the deal, right? So that's generally either by on the bigger stuff, it's generally by broke commercial broker relationships. Then you got to find the money, right? So you got to make relationships with investors. Yep. And then there's the operation side. And now there's a bunch of other things, but those are the three main. And so I thought I had to do all of that. And can I do all of it? Yeah. But can I do all of it effectively? Of course not. And so I thought that's what I had to do. And that really stunted my growth out of, out of the gate. And then it, it changed once I got over that that mind block and that ego. And I brought on a partner. I'm actually reading the book, Who Not How right now. And it's really resonating with me because yeah, it's a phenomenal book. It just brings me back to that moment when I realized I needed to make a change oh, and yeah. that it's not how to do it, but who can one do it for you and who actually likes doing those things that you may not like doing. So yeah. my partner is, he's a engineer by trade. So he loves doing all the technical stuff, underwriting the deals. I like underwriting, but I like underwriting when it's already at the point of, all the data input and manipulation and I can go in there and just work it. Yep. He does all that stuff and it made my business grow. And then using assistance as well. Yeah. It just, you know, you don't even think about it. You think like having an assistant book your travel. Like at first I was like, I'm humble enough to do that myself. I don't need someone, but that's not what it's about. It's, it's you not. remove that. And it's about, it's giving you more time so you can help more people. It's, yep. it's not that you're taking advantage of someone else or that you're too good to do it. It's, that you can actually then go help people. Yeah, that's- Yeah, it's great, great perspective, especially I think that a, a lot of people listening, it, it resonates because they're in that six-figure place where they haven't scaled, which means they probably have maybe a team member or two or three or five, but they really haven't figured out how to put, put people in place and really the factor behind the who, not how. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have minions and that you're this orchestrator. Yeah. It means that you're literally putting people- in the skill set that they love the most, that they're going to find the most joy and value in. And then they're going to return the most value to you, which because it's something that you want to want and need to give away. I love the humility perspective there as well, because I think a lot of guys think, oh, I'm not, I'm nothing. I didn't come from anything. I don't need somebody booking my travel or yeah. interviewing somebody for me on a podcast. Like you, you got on a call with somebody on my team and we interviewed you. Yeah. Uh, I used to do that. I don't anymore. It's not because I'm not good or that I'm too good. It's just because there can be a, there can be better utilization of time. hundred percent. So I love the perspective. What do you think you alluded to your partner and then him taking over certain things and you, but what's been really like the result of that catalyst? I know you said you've grown, but give us some more information there. Give maybe give us a, maybe yeah. a longer version of the story of the result of all that. Yeah. So just like in anything, it's a numbers game. So for us, it's about submitting as many offers as possible, especially in the last few years where we all know real estate's been a crazy hot market. So that's a yeah. lot of competition. So it's all a numbers game. And, but to be able to submit an offer, the deal's got to work for us because we're not just going to submit an offer on anything. It's got to make sense for us. We have a fiduciary duty to our investors or steward of their hard-earned money. And so we take that very seriously. So it takes a lot of underwriting, which is for those not familiar with the term is simply just analysis. We're looking at yeah. deals and making sure it works and fits our criteria and it's a sound investment. So in order to submit an LOI, we got to look at a lot of deals. Could I have done that? Yeah. But then if I had focused on my time, that would have pulled away from my capital raising. 
and would have pulled away from the operations of the assets we already own. And so by bringing him on, he's solely focused on that. And this guy's just one of those Excel gurus, those wizards <laughs> that can just do anything with Excel. I thought I was good. Yeah. I can kind of hold my own. But once I saw what he did, that yeah, no shot. But yeah, he just cranks out underwriting and good underwriting. And it allows us to submit more offers and have a better chance of getting them accepted. And then, which that then allows me to focus more on operations and capital raising. And eventually we're probably going to bring on an asset manager that will focus on operations and then yep. eventually investor relations that will focus on the relations raising capital. And then I'll solely be working on like the book E-Myth working on the business, not in it. I'll be focusing on more on that vision hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, you've obviously got a roadmap. I think that's really good for the listener to hear because it doesn't all happen all at once. No, um, you I don't wish, all of a but... sudden. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're all super impatient, but I also think it's important for them to hear you talk about the relinquishing. You gave certain things away, but what that enabled you to do really is then just go to the next level because he was able to do task ABC and you're able to do EFG then it allows actually you both to focus and dial in and press harder and really go to the next level, which means more deals submitted, more money raised. They, you're going you're gonna to get more done. More assets under management wins it for everybody. Yeah, I will add to, I didn't just bring him on. I could have just hired him and not give, given him ownership in the company and be a partner. But the reason I did it was twofold. One, we did a smaller, actually two smaller deals together that were separate of my company, just personal investments in real estate. And not that I had this plan, there's no intention, but what came of it was awesome. It was kind of like a courtship. And I got to see yeah. how one, how he operated and how we operated together. And I realized we just work really well off of each other. Like I'm good at certain things that he's not, and he's good at certain things that I'm not. And we work really well together and his work ethic is amazing. And that's why I offered the partnership because one, I know there, it would work. And yeah. two, I knew it would give him more incentive to, to work even harder. Yeah, 100%. I, I love the analysis there, the breakdown, because you're right. A lot of times I'm going through this in one of my companies right now, giving same similar opportunity with to someone to be a partner. And the other reality is, is that I could just replace them with right. another employee, another team member. But that's not really the mindset that I'm after long-term. And as long as I've got the right person and we've been together for a while now, I can see what they can do. They can do what I can do. And, and if it makes sense, then the entrepreneurial partnership to me, it just allows for a congruency or an alignment to run really hard together. 100%. I can agree more. The discipline or the process that you have now, I'm super curious, especially with now a partner or before you were growing and it was just you. How does that, like when you're making a decision, obviously our target is to make lots of good decisions. What sort of discipline or process do you have? Yeah, I do my best to take emotion out of it. And obviously I'm not perfect. So it's sure. never a hundred percent out, but yep. <laughs> and the way I do that, at least the way I try to do that is through just looking at the data. Obviously there's a little bit of gut when it comes to real estate and I can get into that later where I didn't follow my gut on a deal early on. It not ended up going well, but it was a long, long process. But anyways, I digress. So what I started to do in order for the data is really just to track everything. Yeah. You know, the, the saying they say, what's not measured is not managed. And it's so true. And it just keeps you, you disciplined. And so we track how many deals we underwrite, how many brokers we talk to, both new and existing relationships, how many investors we talk to, both new and existing. And we have one column will be the goal we're trying to hit and then the actual. And that just keeps us really disciplined. And then when it comes 
to actually making an offer, like sending that letter of intent, what we call an LOI, which is essentially just the offer, we have strict criteria. And if it doesn't meet it, then it doesn't meet it. And we got to go on to the next one. And it doesn't matter if we just looked at a hundred deals and we might have to look at a hundred more. Yeah, that sucks. But at the end of the day, that's how you win. And I'm excited to what's come. So I think a lot of people in the last few years were not acting that way. And they were acting out of FOMO and emotion and probably made some decisions they shouldn't have. And I think there's going to be some opportunities coming. I think you're right. I think that there's going to be a sale, if you will. <laughs> okay. Well, tell it. I mean, you kind of alluded to a sticky period of time there. Why don't you just go ahead and tell us that story before we move on to the speed round? Yeah. So it was early on and this was bef- before I started Greenbrier. And this is when I was building my personal portfolio. So I could have somewhat of a soft landing when I left financial services, because I needed a little bit of income coming in. Right. Yeah. I know I knew I couldn't completely replace it out of the gate. That would take too long. And from a I couldn't just start growing Greenbrier because I was licensed under FINRA and the SEC to sell securities for one firm and I couldn't do it for another, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, so what happened, it was, I can't remember the year now, but what was my goal to get by the end of the year to 20 doors on my personal portfolio. And I think I was, I think I was at 18 and I was looking at a triplex and Went there, looked at it, wasn't in the best shape, but I was like, hey, this could be a great value add. Just put some money into it. The market wasn't the best. It was like a, a smaller market outside of the, like a tertiary market. The guy, the owner, he just gave me some weird vibes, but I just wanted to get, to, it was the ego thing we were talking about. Uh-huh. I wanted to get to 20 doors. Wanted to check the box. Yeah. And I wanted to get the extra depreciation. It was about to be the end of the year. And so it was the day of closing, which was December 31st. So oh, last, wow. last day of the year, and we went to go check the property before we buy it or before we sign the papers. And I, actually, I had never done that up until that point. But for some reason, they asked me to do that. I was like, all right, I'll drive to the property first. And once I got there, I realized why. The parcel above was empty, but this lady wanted to put a house up there. And so she had to put a driveway in and it was an easement through my property. What that did is redirected the water flow, right? And it created a trench through my backyard and it was, and then the owner had his guy come and dig it out to redirect it. So it's a huge crater in the back of the property. It was nothing wrong with that, with the building, right? Because the water was taken away from it, but there was still going to have to be some, some money to fix this issue. And he was telling me how of a pain this neighbor is, this lady, she's blame, she's not taking, you know, responsibility for that. And, but the ego again. I wanted those 20 doors. Dang. So I asked him for 5k off. He said, yes. And we closed that deal. And I'm sure he's still doing cartwheels to this day for getting rid of that property because <laughs> what ended up happening is these tenants were just terrible. Um, and Chaz, oh my God, it, the, <laughs> one of them stripped <clears throat> the plumbing out of the place after we finally evicted them. It took forever because they weren't paying rent, took the heating system out of the second unit. At one point he had his buddy up there that was in an RV and a lean-to doing drugs, wouldn't leave. He was burning his furniture in the backyard. It was oh, just a crazy nightmare. And the, finally, we got him out there, renovated it, blah, blah, blah. But the point sure. of the story, don't act on ego and yeah. stick to your guns. And that's what we do now. We don't act on emotion. If it makes sense, let's do it. If it doesn't, on to the next. Yeah, such a good lesson. I think that even folks not in real estate, we all have ego and we all got goals and we all want to check the box. But I guess the really the lesson there outside of even just sticking to your box of the way that we should do things, not necessarily the target box, 
but is making sure that it makes money, making sure that it makes sense. Like you just said, if it makes sense, great. If it doesn't, then we, we walk away, no emotion. And I think that we lose sight of that. Even in some of the grind, we lose sight of that because we're willing to do things. We're willing to not give things away because of our limited thinking. That's all it is. It doesn't really make sense, but we hold on to it or we make bad choices, whatever it is. So you've done an articulate job of sharing that. In the speed round here, my first question is around metrics. You talked about tracking things. I want to know if you take the whole business and you dwindle it down into one trackable metric, what is it? Oh, that's okay. That's, I, there were so many I wanted to answer with. I'm sure most people say that, but the one trackable is, it depends if we're talking on health of the business, if we're talking about scale, I like to look at, I really like to look at how many people we've helped, but that's not really a trick to the business itself. It's just, I like to see how many units we turned, how many lives we've improved and how many, I really look at the investor list, right? And what's that growing to? How many investors we've got in, into the deal? Because that's more people I've helped. And I'd like to yeah. look at our total return from that list. No, I, th- I think you did a great job, again, of articulating two things. And one, the people aspect of what you do, helping people. And then also, obviously, if, if you're returning money to them, you're helping them. And so yeah. <laughs> it's the number one is that if, if, there's, no, if there's no return or sales or revenue or margin, profit, whatever you use, word you want to use, there is no business. What book would you recommend, Sean, for a six-figure business owner who's trying to figure this thing out? E-Myth is the first one that comes to mind. It, like I, I said earlier, that it's working. It really tells you how to work on your business and not in it, how to set up systems, processes to really scale, take yourself out of it so you can really grow. And the thing about growing and scaling and being able to hire more, like we, we talked about this with the who, not how is, yeah, it's helping the business, but you're also helping other people by employing them and giving them opportunities to grow their yep. career, grow their life. So it, it's selfish of you not to do those things in my opinion. And it, but yeah. it took me a while to realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And giving them the opportunity to shine in the area that they shine best in. It's so much more of a strategic play than a selfish play for sure. Okay. Do you intentionally network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs? Yes. It's one of my favorite things. When I started doing that, my business, my life just completely changed. You just got to surround yourself. You've heard, everyone's heard of the, the average of the five people you'd spend the most time with. If you want to have a good average, you better surround yourself with some rock stars like Chaz. And I'm part of a mastermind. I yeah. probably, I would like to join probably two to three more in the next year or so. Wow. Um, I just, I think it's, the best thing. I was actually talking to my friend the other day. It's not only our, it helps you scale and grow your business, but everyone listening here is probably an entrepreneur, right? And we all know that we can't relate to people that are not entrepreneurs. At least it's hard to, they don't understand right. the struggle, the roller coaster. We have our good days and our bad days. And some of those That's times right. those bad days are really bad. And so to me, masterminds are also like therapy sessions. Like my, yeah. one of my yeah. buddies was in a mastermind with me called me the other day. Cause he was just having a bad day and I could help bring him up and People have done the same thing for me. And yeah. it's just, a, it's a great group of people that seems every mastermind I've been part of that it, not only do they want to win, but they want you to win too. And that's just a great place to be. Yeah. When it's shared that way, when, when yeah. there's a give and take and there's a, a win-win attitude, I think you're hundred percent right. I got a, I got an operations question for you. I didn't put it on the list. That's going to surprise you. But if you only have one hour each week to work on the business, how would you use that one hour to successfully run your business like you do now? That's a great question, Jazz. Wow, it's even harder than the four-hour work week. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> One hour. That's it. That would definitely, it'd be checking those key metrics I mentioned earlier, checking the tracking documents we have, 
and then meeting with the given people that are responsible for those and to check in with them to see if they met it, great, what are you doing? If you didn't, why not? And how can I help you to get there? And then probably the remaining few minutes I would have would, or several minutes I'd have would be really focusing on the vision and really projecting that vision to everyone else in the business. Cause I think that's what it is about being a leader. You, you can create a vision and I'm guilty of this is that you internalize it. Yeah. You might write it down on a piece of paper, but, or type it out, but you don't share it with anyone. And right. one thing that I realized when you share it, not only did one year employees understand it and see where you're going, but even people outside your organization will see it. And the weirdest thing happens, Chaz, where I'm sure you've seen this, they want to help you get to that goal. Right. They, that they see what you're trying to do and they want to be a part of that win, part of that success. So I would probably spend a lot of time doing that if I only had an hour. Yeah. Great answer. Love it. Last question here for you, brother. If you lost it all, what would you do? Oh man, if I lost it all, I would just start again tomorrow. It's just so what, simple in your mind. Yeah. I, I know a lot more than I did now. Obviously I know more now than I did back when I started. So I would know exactly what I need to do, the relationships I need to make and the systems I need to set up and the people I need to hire it might even be easier. Maybe I should just do that. Yeah. The one thing I got from Chaz's podcast is I, yeah. I, I got rid I'm of sure it all. It's, actually, it's funny. You're not the only person that has had that revelation in the moment of, you know how that'd be actually fun, yeah. which has led, it, it resonates with my heart because as a serial entrepreneur, I've wondered so many times about why do I do this over and over? And because there's a crazy love to, okay, I, now I know what to do over here. Let me see if it works over here. And then over here and then over here. Well, so. a lot of people, the rewards in the journey, a lot of people, I know it's cliche to say, but like a lot of people, it's true. A lot of people don't realize that in, yep. until it's over and they're like, wow, I got yeah. to my destination and it's, that's not the fulfilling part. So I get it. I'm about to start another business. And we haven't really talked about this, but I also am the vice president of sales in my family's business. And I have an ownership oh, wow. in that as well. So I'm with you. I like building teams. I like doing different things. And I just like helping other people win and being along for the ride. Yeah, no, you're, I'm with you. We're cut from the same cloth in that regard. It's funny when you say that about the journey, I think we all, we hear that and we're like, yeah. But for me, just real quick here, I met my dad when I was 24. He didn't know I existed. I thought somebody else was my dad. And so for the last 10 years, 11 years, almost we've been building a relationship, but how we've done that mostly has been through elk hunting. I've never hunted oh, wow. a day in my life. He's hunted elk for three decades. And so I've been grafted into this like really special thing. But the cool thing about elk hunting is that it's like really hard physically, mentally. And then even more so if you do it with a bow, it's like, basically you have no chance at success. <laughs> To, to get where they are and then to get where they are at the very specific right time in close enough proximity with nothing blocking you from an arrow shot is basically a one out of 10 chance. And, and, but a lot of people do it. And so I've learned through that, through him, through elk hunting, really what that actually means, even though I've had a little bit greater success than 10%, probably mostly because of my quote unquote mentor, my dad, who's put me in the right position a lot of times, but that, that journey of going and being in the midst and just getting to hear them or see them or play back and forth with them. The journey becomes the result is becomes the enjoyment or the value. So everything that you just said about business is the same. I just know that a lot of listeners have heard it over and over again, but it's real. And uh, you've got two Kings saying it's real. So pay attention to the things that you're doing right now. That's part of the journey. Sean, how can someone connect with you? They want to get to know you. They want to do a deal with you. They want to invest. Like, how can they find you? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to see what we do, what Greenbrier does, just go to greenbriarcg.com. Tons of resources on there and it, it'll just show you what we do. And you can actually, if you want to get on our list, 
We have, you can get on our newsletter. You can also create a profile on our investor portal and you can see any, we'll build a relationship and then you can see any deals that we put out. And then to communicate with me, probably the best way is either on Instagram, which Sean wins REI or on LinkedIn, just search Sean Winslow and you'll find me and I'm active on those too. I love it. Yeah. I love the little play on there. Sean wins. I love the little, little tag there. Um, dude, I, wa- been- I wanted to do Sean wins, just Sean wins, but some yeah. guy has it and it's an inactive account and I can't get oh, it <laughs> Too bad it's not like a domain. You can reach out to him and be like, dude, let me buy it from you. you know? Sean, it's been incredible having you here. Just again, the time frame alone of you giving it, but then just all the mindset, the finance, the decisions, super incredible and practical. Thank you very much. I look forward to hearing more of your success coming with all these new deals that you're doing and even your other new business. I'm curious to hear what that's about too. Thank you for being here. Shaz, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Gathering the Kings. We hope you got a ton of value today and learned a thing or two about taking your business to seven figures and beyond. If you desire more and want a community around you to help you get there, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. That's gatheringthekings.com. And I want you to apply for our next Becoming a King 90-Day Intensive. We are extremely exclusive by nature as a group. What that means is that we're really wanting only the entrepreneurs who take their business and targets super serious to apply. So if that's you, you think you got what it takes to level up your business, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com and apply. And we will see you on the other side.